author and perfecter of our salvation. There is none like you. Father, we agree with your chosen and your appointed Messiah. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of all glory, all strength, all dominion. He is worthy of the praise and adoration of the nations of the earth, Lord. Father, we say that his stripes, his crown of thorns are beautiful. Lord, we love your son. We love your son. We honor him, Abba Father, as we honor you. And we love your spirit, Father. And we ask you for your spirit to brood over us tonight, O God. We ask you for encounter with the Holy Spirit of the living God. We ask you, Father, for your power to touch our spirits, to touch our minds. We ask you to renew us deep on the inside, O God, in the name of Jesus. We ask you for the fruits of the Spirit tonight, Lord Jesus, to be stirred up in our hearts. God, we say that apart from you, we can do nothing. We say, Jesus, that not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit alone, that unless you come and build the house, the builders labor in vain, unless you watch over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. So, Lord, we ask you to come and build our hearts, build our minds, build our spirits, strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, God. Build the house. Watch over the city, Lord. Watch over us, Lord. We are your flock. We are the people of your pasture, the flock under your care. We commit our souls into your hands, good shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures, and you lead us beside the still waters, and you restore our soul. We ask you come and lead us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We ask, O God, in the name of Jesus, Oh, we love you and we need you. Lord, we love you and we need you. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come and open up our eyes to the hope of our calling, to the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. We need you to open our eyes and our ears, Lord Jesus, to your incredibly great power for us who believe, the same power which you worked when you raised Christ Jesus from the dead and and seated him at your right hand far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, when you exalted him above every name that can be named, God, we need that power to open up our eyes tonight. We need your spirit, Lord. We need you to cause our hearts to burn. Open up our eyes. Open the scriptures to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When God first started speaking about the Daniel Institute to us earlier this year, He highlighted several aspects of Daniel's life and ministry that He wanted to find expression through the Daniel Institute of Prayer Missions. The Daniel Institute is just whoever the Holy Spirit brings in our midst. It's people. Okay, it's not, a big, it's not a big institution. We're not going for that kind of thing. Daniel prayed, he proclaimed, he prophesied, and he prepared. Let's look at some of the verses here. Daniel 6, 10 through 11. Now, when Daniel learned 
that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. This was the decree that no, uh, nobody in the empire could worship any god besides the king, any other, you know, so-called god. Daniel, of course, is worshiping the only true god. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men, went as, these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Daniel was a man of fervent prayer, a man of constant prayer. He poured out his heart to the Lord in his time of need. And the Lord says that we need to do the same. Daniel 12, 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel had clear understanding of the nature of our hope in the resurrection at the end of the age, the resurrection of the body, that the righteous in Christ will rise when Jesus returns in power and great glory, and that the wicked will also receive resurrected bodies, we learn in other places and also from this passage that the wicked will also rise and that in resurrected bodies they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Daniel knew the hope of his calling and he proclaimed it boldly. Daniel 2.22, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. Daniel boldly proclaimed the good news of the Messiah's coming kingdom to be established on the earth at the end of the age. And every other wicked kingdom will be uprooted and destroyed. There will be no trace of them left. But the kingdom of God will endure forever and ever, and it will never be destroyed. And God will hand the kingdom over to the saints of the Most High. Daniel 7 says that. Daniel 1.17, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, their Hebrew names. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Daniel prophesied. The Holy Spirit gave him insight through dreams and visions. This is my daughter, Faith. Faith, what do you want to tell everybody about the hard time that's coming at the end of the age? Lord, I pray for our children. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, Lord God, to prepare them and strengthen them by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of their hearts to the hope of your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. There goes faith. <laughs> I love my children. I have three children. Faith, Haven, and Neely. They're all here tonight makes me very happy. Okay, I need to get back on track here. So Daniel prophesied, Daniel 6, 3 through 5. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators, you have to have practical skills to administrate, and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. 
How many of you would like that statement over your life? That's what I'm talking about. That Daniel, conducting his affairs in government righteously because he believed that one day God was going to establish a righteous government on the earth and he wanted to be a part of it. So by faith, he lived righteously now in anticipation and expectation of the kingdom to be established later when Jesus comes back. Prayer, prophecy, proclamation, and preparation marked the life of this man whose life, we learn from Daniel, was a sweet aroma to God. I love this passage in Daniel 9. Daniel says, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. The the ESV says, for you are greatly loved. That as Daniel gave himself to, to fervent prayer, as he gave himself to listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, cultivating a, a heart sensitive to the voice of the Lord, as he believed God's word and prepared in righteousness, and as he prayed, proclaim, as he proclaimed the gospel boldly, I have to keep these straight in my mind, as he proclaimed the gospel boldly, his life was a sweet aroma and fragrance on God's altar. And this is what we desire our lives to be. Nothing else matters. At the end of the day, nothing else matters. What does God think about our lives? What is His estimation? And when we give an account, what is He going to say? Prayer was the foundation of Daniel's life. A life of abiding in Jesus the vine through prayer and intercession must also be the foundation of everything we do. The Lord's really highlighted that to us uh, in the beginning phases of the Daniel Institute. Daniel also had clear understanding of the biblical gospel. He proclaimed the Messiah's coming earthly kingdom. His hope was in the bodily resurrection of the saints that will occur at the end of the age. He was sensitive to the Spirit's voice, skill in hearing the Spirit clearly. And despite great opposition, he faithfully and righteously administered his God-given assignment with integrity. So last month, the Holy Spirit really began to stir my heart, again concerning these four dimensions of Daniel's life, and he really just began emphasizing to me his desire to, for these different things to find expression in our midst. The Lord has raised up apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists. And all of them have different things, different strengths. And, and these different things that Daniel did, different people have different strengths and, 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 and different aspects of these. So in August, we're going to begin diversifying our activities on Friday nights. The first Friday of every every night, like uh, Jen said earlier, we're going to have a corporate prayer solemn assembly, and I'm going to do a teaching in a couple of weeks on the necessity of prayer and and the different dimensions of why it's strategic, especially at the end of the age. So this is going to be open to all whom the Lord will bring. So if you know if if you know of anybody that has a heart for prayer, maybe uh, and they're they're not they're willing to come on a Friday night. To seek the Lord with, with those who are, who are the others of us who are here, I encourage you to get the word out to them. On the second Friday of every month, we're going to continue having these Emmaus Road gatherings. Emmaus Road gatherings are specifically set aside, set apart for going through the word and diving deep in the word together through, over an extended period of time. We really want to take God seriously and say, God, 
You caused the two on the road to amaze. You caused their hearts to burn. Come and break off the dullness of our hearts and come and cause our hearts to burn. So these are going to be devoted solely to teaching. And during these, we'll continue to mine the riches of the word together. On the third Friday, as Jen said, we're going to be having a prophetic forum. Come together to discuss what the Spirit's been saying. Learning to grow together as a community in how to hear the voice of the Lord. In my mind, that's one of the most important things that the saints need to be trained in and grounded in at the end of the age. On the fourth Friday of every month, we're going to do conduct preparation seminars, practical seminars, practical skills that will benefit the, benefit the saints as we pass into the shakings prophesied in Matthew 24. So tonight, we're going to zone in our focus in on the topic of preparation. Why should we prepare? Does God even want us to prepare? That seems like it would be an obvious question, but there's different understandings out there of what that looks like. What does preparation look like? What different types of preparation are there? What is our role in preparation and how do we prepare? So let's do this. Holy Spirit, I ask you for understanding by the spirit of wisdom and revelation concerning preparation. Teach us, Lord. Jesus, you said that when it was beneficial to us that you return to the Father because unless you return to him, you couldn't send the comforter. And so, Lord, we ask you for the comforter We ask you for the anointing of the Spirit to rest on all of us tonight, to open our minds and our eyes to what you have to say to us. Be our strength and weakness, Lord Jesus. Come and help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Cause our hearts to burn, Lord. Preparation, an expression of godly wisdom. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. When we hear the word wisdom today, when you guys hear the word wisdom, when I hear the word wisdom, what types of images thoughts, ideas come into your minds. Let's talk about this a little bit together. What kinds of things do you think of? Do you think of Yoda? Who thought of Yoda? Some, yeah, okay. Some wise Jedi knight. Okay. Okay, so in the academic realm, they confuse knowledge and wisdom. Okay. So, Nathan's just, I, I'm just to let you know, I'm going to repeat so that we can get these things recorded. Nathan's just saying that. Uh, sometimes in the academic realm, there's a confusion between knowledge and wisdom, and somebody with five PhDs, two PhDs, can have a lot of knowledge, but not necessarily wisdom, and that those things tend to get confused a lot in the academic realm. Is that a good summary? Other thoughts? Biblical insight, seeing things through the Holy Spirit's eyes, that's good. What's that? You think of wizards? Okay. That's okay. Not that that's good, but that's what came to your mind. Just the long. You grew up on Disney movies, the long beard. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, okay. Specifically, biblical proverbs. Okay, okay. So memorizing just any list of proverbs versus a living reality. Other thoughts, ideas. I see some wheels turning, so I'm going to sit on this a little bit here. You think of Gandalf? Who thinks of Gandalf? Okay. Yeah, we could tell we're saturated with movies in, you know, 20th century, 21st century now, I guess, American culture. Rebecca. Okay. So Rebecca's grandmother doesn't, by some ac- maybe academic standards, or is that what you mean? Okay. Right. Okay. Right. That's good. That's good. Okay. So the kings would call prophets because the prophets had wisdom from God. So Solomon, yep. That's good. That's good. Solomon received divine wisdom from the Holy Spirit. I love when you read about Solomon's wisdom. It says that he wrote Proverbs. He wrote songs. He had insight into, you know, God's creatures. He wrote Proverbs about ants. And it's really interesting how all of that ends up weaving into discourses about righteousness and justice, isn't it? Good. That's good. Any other thoughts before we move on? Nathan. Wow, I love that passage too. Nathan's just talking about the passage in Colossians that Jesus, in him in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and that Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. That's good. Other thoughts? Okay, so you guys are touching different dimensions of what we're going to talk about tonight. So what is God's definition of wisdom? As we just even from our, our discussion just now, we see that wisdom is a rich, multidimensional concept that involves mind, heart, will, and action. Our understanding, our emotions, our choices, and our behavior are all integrated realities. What we think and understand about something powerfully influences our feelings and choices, and what we feel and choose in turn profoundly influences what we think. 
God's, we're holistic beings. We can't just, you know, sometimes we try to, to kind of uh, separate different things of our lives, but really, it, it's really hard to do. So that's my, here's a nice little, you know, not too complex chart. You know, mind, understanding, influencing heart and emotions and will and actions and behavior. God desires for us to grow in a right understanding of His personality, His ways, His character, His promises, and the way He is carrying out His plans for the earth. Right understanding of the gospel is designed by God to stir in us holy emotions. It's inherently motivational, and it motivates us to righteous choices and holy living. That's why when you hear versions of the gospel that are not motivating the saints to righteousness and obedience, you haven't heard the gospel as Paul preached it and Paul preached it. And did I say Paul twice? Paul, as Paul preached. Yeah, just thank you for your patience with the weak man. Paul and Peter, a couple weeks ago, I went on for about five minutes about how Cain killed Seth and thinking it was Abel. But uh, thankfully, some, I had some good friends that lovingly reminded me that Keith got, Cain murdered Abel instead of Seth. So it's good. It's good. It's good for, you know, these, these great moments of weakness and humiliation. I love it. It keeps us humble, doesn't it? So anyway, if you don't hear a version, if the gospel isn't preached in a way that stirs your heart to obey God, that creates a hunger and a cry for righteousness, you haven't really heard the gospel. The gospel is inherently motivational. So the degree to which our understanding, emotions, choices, and actions are not in agreement with God, the degree to which they're not in agreement with the truth of the gospel, is the degree to which we're still in deception. We need to get free of deception. That's a part of the process of sanctification. So just to give a couple, few little brief examples how understanding, faith, how our emotions and the things that we feel in our affections and the choices and our, our choices and our behavior are, are interrelated. So we have faith in Jesus as God's appointed sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And when we truly realize the implications of that for the Son, when we truly realize the implications of that for the Father, and the implications of that for us, it means that we don't go to a lake of fire. It means that we're washed. It means that we're, our brokenness is healed. It begins to stir up thankfulness and joy and love and gratitude. Also, it causes us to follow Jesus' example. We don't just receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive the forgiveness of sins unto daily dying to ourselves and making those choices so that we can receive the same rewards and the same inheritance that Jesus did when he persevered through his sufferings and trials as we carry our cross. So Jesus is God's appointed judge who's going to punish the rebellious and he's going to reward the righteous with an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade at the second coming. This should cause us to have a holy fear and a trembling in our spirits. God is going to do this. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He began it and he is going to finish it and this should cause us to tremble. And this is part of the gospel. I love how Paul in Romans chapter 2, he says that, he says that on the day when God is going to expose all men's motives, as my gospel declares, how many of you guys have heard the gospel of the exposure of our motives? 
I'm just letting you know that sometimes we're not preaching the gospel, and we need to get to really cover all the different dimensions of the gospel. And so, in light of the day of the Lord and the judgment to come, we put to death the things of the flesh. We walk in the fruits of the Spirit. Constant prayer asking God to help us grow by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Help us do what we can't do on our own. And God's long-suffering with us and mercy towards sinners in this age. Again, great gratitude and thankfulness, wonder and amazement. And also, mercy and patience ourselves towards towards sinners. (laughs) like us, towards pray for our enemies, that they would receive the same mercy and grace that we've received. We often tend to think of wisdom primarily in terms of creative solutions and applications. How many of you ever find yourselves there? I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. I know several of you that have been in complex situations lately crying out for wisdom. I mean, I think probably the majority of you that I see in this room are in complex situations crying out for wisdom. And so that's that's true, just to kind of flesh that out in a way that gives a little bit more meat to that, I think it's a little more accurate to describe wisdom biblically defined in terms of creative solutions and applications that are righteous in God's sight. That's really what we're crying out for. We don't just want creative solutions, we want righteous creative solutions. And the reason we want those is they, we want those because of our faith and our conviction in a coming kingdom that will only be full of righteousness. We want righteous solutions that spring out of righteous motives so that we can inherit a kingdom of righteousness. So biblical, this is my best shot at a definition of wisdom. Take it or leave it. Biblical wisdom means a righteous understanding of God as revealed by God. We're going to read some passages. You don't get wisdom unless God gives it to us. Okay? A righteous understanding of God as revealed by God unto Righteous heart responses toward God and through God. We need the grace of God to have righteous responses towards Him. Unto righteous choices and actions and obedience to God. And then unto receiving the inheritance promised by God, the resurrection of the righteous. As we, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, respond to God in humility, love, faith, and obedience, He in turn increases our understanding and the cycle continues. Now, I don't want to get too linear in, my, in our understanding of this, because sometimes in the scriptures you read, he says, cry out, and I'll give you wisdom and understanding. So he wants you to cry out before he gives it to you, but then he gives you the understanding, and then the understanding really makes you hungry for more, and so it makes you want to cry out more. So sometimes, you know, we don't want to get overly linear, linear in the way we think about this cycle, but, but I think that it gives us an idea of how these different dimensions of wisdom dynamically relate to one another and impact each other. So let's look at some uh, verses from uh, beginning with some of the wisdom literature, Job, Proverbs, the Psalms. These are part of what, uh, part of the, what's known as the wisdom literature in the scriptures. Job 28, 20 through 28, I love this passage. It says, where then does wisdom come from? Where are we going to get it? What's the source of wisdom? Where does understanding dwell? So here we see this link here. Wisdom is tied to understanding and to right understanding, righteous understanding. And that's what the whole point of the book of Job is about. You've got all these guys coming together to talk, and who's talking wisdom? Who's got the, a perspective that's going to lead to righteousness and godliness that God says, yeah, that's the way I see it. That's what the whole book of Job is about. 
verse 21, it's hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. Guys, when, when the Lord gives us wisdom and insight from His throne, we really need to value it and treasure it. It's not something that we need to handle lightly and, and something that we need to treat lightly. We need to, to relate to it with gratefulness. God understands the way to it, and He alone knows where it dwells. So God alone gives wisdom and right understanding. He's the source of it. For He views the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. Verse 25, when He established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when He made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then He looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. God looking out over all creation, and He's making His estimation of wisdom. He's giving His appraisal. His appraisal. He's giving His evaluation. And His appraisal is this, and He said to man, the fear of the Lord, this is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. And here the particular word for Lord is Adonai. And whenever you read the word Adonai, it often refers to the Messiah, and it usually emphasizes God's majesty and His authority. And so he's saying that if you want to know what wisdom is, you need to tremble at God's authority. We need to tremble at His majesty. We need to tremble at what the Lord God of the universe has said He's going to do. He's going to establish a kingdom on the earth. He's going to purge the earth of all wickedness. He's going to fill the earth with the glory of God. He's going to come and make all the wrong things right. And to really take God seriously on what He said He's going to do and to tremble before Him is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, give us grace to shun evil. Give us grace to fear Your name, Adonai, Lord God of heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to You, Jesus, and You rule the nations of the earth. We thank You for Your long-suffering and Your patience in the present age, but we know that Jesus, this present wicked evil age is coming to an end, and that the age to come is coming with power and great glory. In Jesus' name. Let's read Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. He says, My son, this is wisdom speaking, a personification of wisdom. And I, just to remind us of Nathan's, the, the verse he, he quoted from Colossians, Jesus is the wisdom of God. This is Jesus talking before he's incarnate in the flesh. My son, if you accept my words, so wisdom has sons and daughters. Wisdom has sons and daughters, okay? If you accept my words and store my commands within you. So we need to store up God's commands. So the understanding of God's ways, they're revealed by God. Our Father revealing wisdom to His children so that we become like Him. Verse 2, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. So here we're applying our heart. There's, there's intentionality and choice involved. We're turning our ear we're not being passive about it. We're saying, God, we want what only you have to offer. Verse 3, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, you can start to feel the emotion 
building here. God, I need wisdom. God, I lack it. And if you look for it as for silver, again, wisdom is valuable. Search for it as for hidden treasure. We've got to set our affections and our emotions and our desire on wisdom. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Unless the Lord speaks, if God does not speak, we cannot have wisdom. We must cry out for God to speak. That's part of the, the, the way that that's what, part of what we're doing with the, the prophetic forums. We're crying out, God, we need you to speak. We need your insight. We need your spirit. We need your voice. We need you to give us sensitivity to your voice. Verse 7, he holds victory in store for the upright. So this isn't just about understanding and abstract knowledge. It's about learning how, what it means in God's sight to be upright. He is a shield for those whose walk is blameless. It's about learning how to make choices that God counts as good and holy and virtuous choices. Verse 8, for he guards the course of the just and he protects the way of his faithful ones. It's about loyalty to God. It's about faithfulness to God. It's about clinging to God. It's about chewing on his words. It's about hungering for his word. Faithfulness to him, loyalty to him. Then you'll understand what is right and just and fair. That's what God's going for the human, human beings on the earth, we don't really have a very good idea of what's right and just and fair. And we see it every day in the jacked upness, as my friend John Harrigan says. That's his favorite word, jacked upness of our existence. <laughs> we see it every day that the, the rulers of the earth don't know what's just and right and fair most of the time. And I remember Nathan and I in church one morning, we came pretty broken. Pray for me. He said, you pray for me. I said, you pray for me. And that morning, we'd have rough mornings with our children. We said, God, I don't know what righteousness and justice and fairness is in my home. We, cry, we cried out for wisdom. We need this in our homes. We need this in every dimension. We've, we've got to cry out for it with hunger. So I'm going to move on to James 1, 2 through 8 here. You can read the rest of Proverbs 2, 1 through 15. Sorry, that's supposed to be 2, 1 through 15 there, not 1 through 5. James 1, 2 through 8. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Human wisdom, natural wisdom, man's wisdom does not consider it pure joy when you go through these things. So we're, we're tapping into something that God is appraising. Remember that passage from Joe's, that God appraises as wisdom. That's the only way we can consider it pure joy when we're going through trials and tribulations of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. God has work to do in this age. He has work to do in our hearts. He's accomplishing that work through perseverance so that you may be mature and complete. That's the end game that he's going for, maturity, Christ-likeness, growth and wisdom, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... Concerning now, he's don't don't just take this out of context. If any of you lacks wisdom concerning how to persevere patiently, like he's talking about, in loyalty to God through sufferings, and read James five seven through through twelve, like Job and the prophets. If you read James one there, the context is that the rich are oppressing the believers, and uh, it seems that James is talking to to Jews, and so it sounds like as as certain you know Jews were turning to the Lord. It sounds like some of their Jewish brothers, their wealthier Jewish brothers, were 
possibly persecuting them by, uh, through financial means, which is a common thing uh, in a, the Muslim world today. Some, a lot of times Muslims accept the Lord and they lose their jobs, that kind of thing. So what he's saying there is, if you want to learn how to wisdom to know what kind of understanding is necessary to persevere, persevere faithfully through sufferings, what kind of reality in God is necessary to persevere faithfully through sufferings? What kind of perspective, what kind of understanding about what God has promised to do is going to anchor us faithfully through, perse- through, through persecutions in perseverance so that we receive a crown of life, as James talks about just a few verses below the ones that we're looking at here. He should ask God. Think of Proverbs 2. He should cry out to God. He should search for it as for hidden treasure. He should cry out with hunger. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks for wisdom concerning perseverance, he must believe and not doubt. And I don't believe that it's just a vague, just a general belief he's talking about. If you acknowledge that you need perseverance, why do you need perseverance? In righteousness, it's because God has promised to give those who persevere in righteousness a kingdom of righteousness. You're having faith in a kingdom to come on the earth. That's our inheritance. And if you really believe that God's going to do what he said he would do, if you really have faith in that, that's going to drive you to hunger. It's going to drive you to cry out for God so that you're not blown and tossed back and forth by the wind. So that when you walk in to Walmart, when you are surrounded by conversations that are not holy, okay? You're not tossed back and forth. You're able to keep your eyes fixed on the things that matter to the Lord. That man should not think that he will receive anything if if he believes, if he's doubting. He's a double-minded man. We need to have a mind that's fixed on one reality alone. What does God think? What's God's evaluation? What's he going to think when I stand before him, when I stand before him and he, and he gives a judgment concerning my life, what's he going to say? Is my mind fixed singly on that? Or is my mind fixed partly on the world and what the world says is good and righteous and good and, and valuable? Or, and is it partly fixed on that or is it partly fixed on, well, I kind of want this and I kind of want that and I, I want to waver? Okay, that's double-mindedness. Letter F. In Daniel chapter 12, God tells Daniel that at the end of the age, the earth is going to enter into a time of unparalleled difficulty and distress. God also tells Daniel about an amazing promise that he's extending to the saints, especially to those who will live during this time in history. Those who commit themselves, Daniel 12 tells us, to God's path and definition of wisdom, those who train others in wisdom and righteousness are going to shine with great power and glorious, radiant brightness in the resurrection of the righteous at the end of the age. Daniel 12, 1 3. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as, ha- such as has not happened. From the beginning of nations until then. Jesus cites this in Matthew 24, 21. We'll look at that in a second here. But he, I have a question. Does God lie or not lie? God does not lie. This is going to happen. Wisdom, wisdom is to accept that this is going to happen. 
okay? But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, it's very important for your name to be found written in the book when this stuff comes down, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, those who embrace wisdom, those who cry out for wisdom, those who call out for it and search for it with hunger, as for hidden treasure, gold and silver, who long for the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. I like the NIV alternative. It says those who impart wisdom will shine like the brightness of the heavens, those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And Jesus quoting and alluding to Daniel here in Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. This is a time that's going to require wisdom from the Lord, unlike anything we've ever known. And we must cry out for it. We must yearn for it. We must thirst for it. And God is generous. He's going to give it to us if we, if we, if we approach Him with sincerity and without double-mindedness. So God spoke this promise to Daniel in context to a prophetic warning about the difficulties that would come upon the earth at the end of the age. From Daniel 12, we learn that at the end of the age, it's imperative. It is not an option for the shepherds, the teachers, the churches, the pastors, the ministries. It's imperative that we commit ourselves to clinging to the truth of God's word. It doesn't matter what the world calls wisdom. It doesn't matter what the scientists call wisdom. Evolutionary ideology is a lie. It is a lie. We were not made out of little primordial goop. That is a lie. Okay? We are going to be held. Things don't just continue in a cycle forever and ever. God is going to interrupt the cycle of death in this age. It doesn't matter what the media calls wisdom. It doesn't matter what the scientists call wisdom or the universities. All that matters is what God calls wisdom at this time in history. And as the shepherds, as shepherds that God entrusts to the church, or shepherds to whom God entrusts the church, we must impart wisdom, God's wisdom, to the best of our ability and our weakness. We must train the saints to walk according to to God's righteousness and wisdom in the face of severe opposition, even if it isn't yet upon us. Okay, here's the, here's the, the quandary that we're in, in our situation. In China, when a new movement is birthed, it's birthed into a context of persecution. In the Muslim world, when a movement to Christ is birthed, it's birthed into a context of persecution. It's the immediate reality. In our situation, we're like Noah. God's told us it is coming. It's not upon us necessarily yet, but it is coming. And so will we bear the stigma of it and, and begin preparing our minds and our spirits and even the way we organize ourselves practically in light of that, okay? Throughout the scriptures, we constantly see conflict between God's definition of wisdom and what this rebellious planet calls wisdom. The world persecutes God's heralds of wisdom. Listen to this, Luke eleven forty nine. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, this is Jesus speaking, I will send them prophets. I'll send them apostles. I'm going to let them know my definition of wisdom. I'm going to raise up people. 
The world's going to have no excuse when I come to judge the earth. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to kill them, and they're going to persecute them because people don't like the way I do things. Well, a lot of people don't. We're growing as states. We're, we're growing. We're, we're desiring to, to grow in that. But, but that's, what's in the, that's what's in the human spirit apart from God. God sends us wisdom. The wisdom of God incarnate in Jesus. What did we do to him? What did we do to him? Godly wisdom is not in us. We must cry out for it. The most inspiring stories of the Bible are about normal men and women who clung fervently to God's path of faith, God's wisdom, in the face of the world's so-called wisdom. Would Abraham and Sarah, Abraham, at the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness unto his inheritance in a kingdom of righteousness. It was counted as faithfulness to God. Oh, how it moves God's heart when, like Abraham and Sarah, we go out and look at the stars and we think about the things God's spoken and we believe Him. How it moves His heart. Oh, the friendship. Abraham was a friend of God. To be a friend of God means to yield to the, and submit to the wisdom of God. Would Noah risk looking like a fool and starting to build an ark? 120 years before God's word came to pass concerning the flood. How many of you would like that assignment? 120 years. I will not contend with man forever. His days will be 120 years. He's not talking about the lifespan because people live past 120 years after the flood. Eventually whittled down. We can't even make it to 70 or 80 now. Few of us can. He's talking 120 years. I'm going to send the flood and put an end to, the, to all these to all living creatures. How would you like that assignment? But Noah, he believed God. He trembled. He wanted to build an ark for his family. What would have happened had Joseph not stored up grain in response to God's word? What if Job, the prophets, and Jesus had given up through their sufferings? What if they thought that their sufferings were the last say in the matter? They chose God's wisdom. Letter J. This battle continues to rage today. Worldly wisdom says, let us eat and drink. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 32. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's get drunk. Let's, let's just look at a little bit of the wrong stuff on the internet. Or, if you don't take any of this seriously, let's just give ourselves wholly to wickedness, because tomorrow we're just going to die and rot in the grave. And nothing's going to happen. That's wickedness. That's ungodly wisdom. That's foolishness. Okay? But the wisdom from God says, no, let us prepare our minds. Let us prepare our hearts. Let us prepare our hands in righteousness, in love, in humility, in obedience, and in the fear of the Lord. Why? For tomorrow, we don't just die. We don't just go back into the dirt. We're not just going to be eaten by worms in the ground. No, tomorrow Jesus will return with power. He will return with glory. He will bring recompense to the wicked. He will reward them for their wickedness, and he will reward the righteous for their righteousness. He'll punish the wicked. He'll establish the kingdom of God on the earth. He'll reign forever and ever. 
from Jerusalem, of the king of his government and peace, there'll be no end. His glory will fill the earth. Therefore, godly wisdom says, let's walk in righteousness. Let's seek the voice of the Lord. Let's shut our eyes. I can't remember where it is in Isaiah, but he says that the man who will walk, dwell with God on the mountain heights, that he stops his ears. He shuts his eyes against plots of evil. That's wisdom. Letter K, God is patient with human beings, with us, who in their and in our arrogance, we tend to tout our own version of wisdom. However, God is going to win this battle in the end. Mark my word, mark his word. Wisdom will be vindicated by her children on the day of the Lord when Jesus comes for his people. The so-called wisdom of this evil age will come to nothing when Jesus returns. Luke 7, 33-35, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. Why did John not eat, drink, and wine? That's right. He was walking in the fear of the day of the Lord. Repent! The kingdom of God's at hand. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He's ready to, re- he's ready to thresh. His, he's ready to, to take that, that threshing sledge and, and, and thresh his, the floor and, and the, he's going to gather his wheat into the barn and the wind's going to blow away the chaff forever. And they, what did they say? John has a demon. <laughs> John's walking in righteousness in light of the day of the Lord and they say he has a demon. That's right, he's a Nazarite. He's obeying the scriptures, the Nazarite scriptures. And so they're calling a man who's taking God seriously at his word as a Nazarite, a demon-possessed man. They're going to call us demon-possessed. Man, demon, demon-possessed. You know, in some parts of the world right now where there's strong persecution, they want to, a lot of times, obviously the person to, if, to leave Islam must be insane because nobody, so they lock him up. So the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So here's Jesus, he's a party animal, He's just lavishing love on all these sinners and prostitutes and calling them to repentance, you know. Those who are, those who are healthy need, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So Jesus is following the wisdom of God in this instance, demonstrating God's long-suffering towards sinners. Again, think of uh, Proverbs 2 when we think about the children of wisdom. My son, if you cry out, wisdom will be justified, will be vindicated on the day of the Lord by her children. Those who choose the path of wisdom in this age, when all the other voices tell us that it's foolishness, will be vindicated in the age to come when we're sitting on thrones of glory and righteousness and ruling the nations of the earth at Jesus' side. 1 Corinthians 2.6 We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of the sage who are coming to nothing. Letter L. The issue of preparation, therefore, I went, I've gone, the reason I've gone through all of this stuff on wisdom is because people, a lot of times when they hear the word preparation, they tend to think of simply Y2K or something like that. We're wanting to get... And, you know, there is some, real, some reality of that, you know, if, if the Lord tells you to, to do that, you need to obey. But 
I just want us to broaden our understanding of preparation. It's really not an issue. It's primarily an issue of God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. That's the point. God has said that these difficulties are coming. He said that, that this time of unprecedented, uh, unprecedented difficulty, it is coming. And so the question for us is, will we believe his word? Even when everything else around us seems to be going on business as usual. There's going to be, when, when Matthew 24 really starts ramping up, it's not going to be business as usual. But even in that context, um, you know, scoffers are going to be, be, uh, be scoffing at the, the, the word of the Lord. Will we, like Noah, walk in the fear of the Lord and scorn what the world calls wisdom? Will we prepare our hearts, our minds, our friends, our families, our children? Will we believe God's word to Daniel? Will we ask God to help us build that ark? A bar, an ark that will actually float. When Isaiah 24 says that when, when Matthew 24 happens, according to Isaiah 24, it says that the earth is going to be so thoroughly shaken, it's going to reel to and fro like a drunkard. Re- there are several passages in Isaiah talking about the remnant of men, <laughs> those who are left, those who make it through this time. I'm telling you people, when this thing really starts shaking, it's really going to start shaking, for real. Not the time to embrace the wisdom, the so-called wisdom of this age. It's time to embrace the wisdom of God. Hebrews eleven seven, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. Right now, we see caribou coffee on every corner, and we see Starbucks on every corner. We see life just seems to be going on. But I tell you what, we've been warned about things not yet seen. And by his faith, he condemned the world became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was a wise man. Preparation of head, heart, and hand. So in light of this discussion of wisdom and the different dimensions of wisdom, what does preparation look like? So in what follows, we're going we're gonna to look at preparation from three different perspectives. Head, heart, and hand. We probably won't get through all the material on this tonight. We might. We'll see how it goes. But as we look at these... Again, we're not, we must not forget that all of these are dynamically interrelated to one another. So you can't, just, you can't just separate preparation of your mind because what you think, again, it affects how you prepare in your spirit and prayer and, and fasting and those kinds of things. And it affects the things that you actually do with your life and your time. I'm going to tell a story here. Corrie ten Boom, how many of you have heard of Corrie ten Boom? Okay, amazing woman. She... Uh, and she uh, and her family protected Jews in Europe, and they were thrown in a prison camp as a result. And she was the only one who survived of her family, I believe, of her immediate family at least. So uh, recently I heard uh, a Bible teacher named David Pawson, and he was recounting a story about a visit that Corrie ten Boom made to China. And, and here's, I just want to quote David Pawson here. Here's what he says. So he says, when that dear woman, Cory ten Boom, went to China, she was shocked to find Christians saying to her, Cory, American missionaries told us that before big trouble came, we would be up in heaven. And the big trouble came, and we didn't know how to handle it. Why didn't they tell us we would suffer for Jesus? And he says, and Cory wrote this in one of her books. Now he's quoting Cory ten Boom herself. I have been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. In China... The Christians were told, don't worry, before the tribulation comes, you will be raptured. 
Then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later I, Corey speaking about herself, heard a bishop from China say sadly, We have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them that Jesus would come first to rapture them. And turning to me, he said, tell the people, and we need to receive this message as a message to us, tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. How many of you want to be in that category? How many of you want to heed this advice? How many of you think this is wisdom? How many of you think that, that what they heard previously from some of our fellow citizens was not wisdom? That's, it wasn't wisdom. That was foolishness. And it was exposed for what it is. I, and I, I want to tell you that the, if you look at Matthew 24, it's a, it's a gift. I think it's a gift and a mercy that it begins with earthquakes and famines before the times of persecution and the abomination of desolation inaugurates the most difficult time the world has ever seen because those of us who, uh, those who still believe that we wouldn't go through that kind of time, by that point, will have had probably had enough of the shakings to know that, wait, wait, okay, maybe God will let us go through some of these hard times. And, and, and it's a kind of a wake-up call to us as b- before, it, the, before the, the real hard labor begins. <clears throat> Paul tells us, that we need to have our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit. All of us have ideas, assumptions, paradigms, and perceptions that are out of sync with God and His ways. The extent to which this is true, again, I said this earlier, is the extent to which we're still in deception. I, you know, Romans 12, 2, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you, five years ago, something you thought was surely this was true, and then the Lord, five years later, you look back and you, you scratch your head. Man, how in the world did I believe that? How many of you ever had that kind of experience? Whether it's on a biblical thing or whatever. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I thought I had it right. And the Lord just kind of lovingly had to humble me and discipline me in manifold different ways. Many, many times to kind of help me realize uh, that I was missing the point on a number of things. Letter D, we must ask the Holy Spirit to purge our understanding over time of unbiblical ideas, paradigms, and assumptions. This takes, I mean, we've got to cry out for this. We really have to cry out for this. We really have to recognize that our minds are hostile to God, as Paul says in Romans 8. For example, many believers today, we talked about this, they believe that God wouldn't let his people go through hard times or persecution. There is a te- I'm not going to tell that story. Sorry, I have a story in my mind. Maybe I should tell. Maybe it's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I, I had, uh, when we were in the Horn of Africa, there was a woman. She accepted the gospel, and she, uh, she was, her, her, her uncles and her male relatives were uh, Islamic militants, radicals, um, from a different school, of Islamic thought than what most of, of this particular people group believed. So anyway, she, uh, she when she accepted the gospel, one day her, one of her uh, relatives, male relatives, told her, came in to command her, to tell her that she had to start saying her prayers 
reciting the Quran, those kinds of things. And she says, I know the truth better than you do. And so they didn't take too kindly to that, so they began to beat her. And while they're beating her, the power of God comes on her and the fire of God. And the man begins to shriek in terror because his hand starts to burn. And he says, he says God, I'm, I'm burning. I'm burning. I'm burning. So he runs out of the room. And he says, he goes to get the other, some of his, uh, some of the others, the other guys in the house, and they bring some donkey whips and begin to beat her with donkey whips. And she doesn't deny the Lord, but she definitely uh, was feeling the, uh, they were, they were quoting the Quran over, there was kind of a demonic frenzy, frenzy over her mind, and she was just feeling under major demonic attack, but she never denied the Lord and, and uh, came through that, and the, the church strengthened her after she came through that time, but but they, uh, they ended up saying that, this kind of lets you know, this, this gives you an idea of how unrenewed the human mind is, that God was punishing her and burning her up for becoming an infidel. In reality, God was burning him up for not yet have, you know, for, for afflicting his, his precious daughter. But anyway, um, the point is that God will let his people go through hard times. And she has a great inheritance and a great reward because she was carrying her cross like Jesus. There's a teaching popular among many American evangelicals today called the pre-tribulation rapture. Many of these are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. They love the Lord. Many of them obviously love the Lord dearly. Um, according to this teaching, God says that he'll rapture his saints into heaven before the events prophesied in Daniel 12.1, commonly known as the great tribulation begins. We're not going to go into an in-depth study of this. We're not going to look at the history. But I just want to say that this teaching, despite the sincerity of the faith of our brother, it's foolishness. It's foolishness is what it is. It's foolishness. You don't, you don't get ready for a disaster in a hurricane by denying that the hurricane's coming. You don't get ready for a war by saying the war's not coming. How many of you have heard of Winston Churchill? Winston, Winston Churchill, over and over saying, watch out for Hitler. Watch out for Hitler. Everybody's saying, oh, he's not going to do anything. We'll just make peace with him. No, he's not. Let's make a treaty. Let's do this. He's saying, nope, watch out for Hitler. Watch out for Hitler. And here's his quote. You were given the choice between war and dishonor. You chose dishonor and you will have war. He said this before. He, he said this actually before World War II really broke out and in, uh, in, fuel, in full fury. But I tell you what, we, this, we just have to come to terms with the fact that God sent his own son to the cross, and so he calls us to do the same. So that brings us to the doctrine of the cross. The doctrine of the cross must regain its place in the forefront of the church's thinking. This is the way we pre- prepare our minds, is we let God crucify. <laughs> we let God crucify all false thinking. Satan has done everything he can to get our eyes off the cross. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's love, his humility, his long-suffering, his covenant faithfulness. Luke 9, 23 through 26. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. John 12. The man who loves his life will lose it. So that's not wisdom. Holding on to everything that this world in you that this world says is wise, that's foolishness. While the man who hates his life in this world, in its present form, 
will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow, must follow me. Where is Jesus getting ready to go here? Whoever serves me must follow him where? To the cross. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This must be the cry on our lips when this time comes. Father, glorify your name. Father, should you give us the honor of bearing your stripes, the stripes of your son, let your name be honored and let it be a witness and a testimony. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So what is the gospel? When we say the gospel of the kingdom, and when Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom, do we mean the same thing that Jesus means? Now that seems like a basic question. But I tell you what, a lot of times we, presume, we think we know what the gospel is, but we really don't. We talked about how many of you have ever heard in church the gospel of the day when our motives are exposed for all of us to see all that great cloud of witnesses up there. And all of you get to see my motives. And I get to see all of yours. That's the good news. <laughs> Woo! Okay. The good news of the kingdom. How many of you guys, what, what does that make you do in your chair? Woo-hoo! Yeah. yeah. That's the point. Yeah, that's the point. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Everybody's kind of sweating. I see the sweat. I feel in the sweat right now. Come down my face. Unfortunately, these, these uh, yeah, these fundamental questions, we often don't ask them. We've got lots of stuff especially in, in, in the, in, we've, you go to a Bible bookstore, we've got lots of stuff, but are we really tapping into what Jesus defines as the gospel? And so one of the ways we can prepare our minds is to get clearer understanding. I mean, after all, if Jesus is going to send us out at the end of the age to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, we need to know what that means. We need to know that the gospel, according to the scriptures, is not a heavenly destiny of the soul. Okay? We need to know that. The so, you know, when we die, our spirits go up to be with the Lord during a season. But that's not our biblical hope. Our hope is the resurrection of the body. It's the resurrection of the flesh. It's the restoration of all things, the restoration of the heavens and the earth. It's not the annihilation. The apostles were very, very clear on these things. And somehow over the years, we've become muddied and confused. Well, we need to ask the Lord to help us not be muddied and confused anymore. So that's one of the ways we can prepare our minds. And again... Uh, Jen was telling you about a couple classes. I really want to encourage you guys. If you haven't listened to my friend, uh, I have a friend named John Harrigan. He lives in Kansas City. His course on, uh, on biblical theology of mission and biblical practice of mission, he really tackles these worldview issues. It's, I've gone to, uh, I went to seminary, and I can honestly say that if I had to do it over again, I would have taken his one course versus all the courses I took there. That's, and I'm saying that for real. You really should listen to it. It's worth the time. It's, it's some heavy stuff, so, so don't give up. When he, he works through evolution, he works through, he works through lots of stuff. He, wor- he works through evolution. He works through uh, the fossil record. He works through the flood. He works through a lot of different paradigms in the, that are out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So there's my plug for it. Go check it out. And we're going to be working through some of that stuff in the ERGs, too. And let's talk about prayer just a minute here. We're going to talk about prayer more, more in a couple weeks. But. So when we, 
the point in, in letter I here is that when we really believe this is going to happen, it's, it's got to drive us to our knees. We've got to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace and mercy, find gra- mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're going to have a great time of need. And I tell you what, we have to have a life in prayer before, the, before that actually happens. It doesn't just happen. You don't just become a pro basketball player when you, without actually having high school ball and, and college ball under your belt, okay? You don't just become a good athlete by suddenly showing up after all of your Burger King hamburgers, but no running and training, and win an Olympic gold medal. Jesus tells us that a life of fervent prayer will not be optional for his people at the end of the age. We must pray that we will persevere through what's coming and stand before the Son of Man as those who loved him, as those who love him, not only through the good times, but also through the hard times. Luke 21, 34-36. Buckle up for this passage. Be careful. This is wisdom speaking to us. Or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation. He's talking to the apostles. He's talking to his disciples here and the apostles here. I mean, they've they've been walking with the word of God made flesh for three and a half years. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And we're going to learn why there's going to be some cause in the world's eyes for some anxiety. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. So if we follow the world's wisdom, then these things are going to come unexpectedly. If we're sleepy, they're going to come unexpectedly. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth, Jesus says. It will come. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. That you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Pray that you pass through this thing faithfully. Don't stop praying for a single moment. It's going to require that. A life of prayer is indispensable. More on that in a couple weeks. Okay, we're going to Talk about hand preparation here. Practical preparation. Head, heart, and hand. Head, heart, and hand. That's just a good way if you if if we want to begin incorporating some of this into our prayers. God, prepare my mind, prepare my hands for action, prepare my heart in love. In addition to head and heart preparation, God also is to prepare with our hands. All of the saints are called to walk in a unified understanding of our hope. All of us are called to a life of abiding with Jesus in prayer. Those are more general things that we're all, we're all called to walk in simply by virtue of the fact that we're believers. Hand preparation is more diverse, however, in its expression according to the, God's calling and His gifting of different parts of the body. Ephesians 4, 4-7, through 7, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. That's why we've got to have mind preparation. At the end of the age, guys, we've got to be unified in our hope. We've got to have clarity in our understanding of what our one hope is. One Lord, one faith. What, did faith. what did Abraham actually have faith in? What did the apostles have faith in? What do we need to have faith in? There's one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it to do different tasks, different parts of the body, have different gifts and callings, different, different things that God, different assignments from the Lord. So practical, practical preparation, it's not simply about making sure we have enough beef jerky stored up to keep ourselves and a few others alive as anarchy breaks out, okay? I mean, I like to have a little beef jerky if there's no other, you know, other stuff around, for sure. 
But it's, you know, it's primarily, let's, I want us to think in terms of love. In Galatians, Paul says, the only thing that counts in God's sight is faith in a kingdom, in a coming kingdom of love, expressing itself in love. If we actually believe in a, in a coming kingdom of love, then we need to, then our faith is going to find expression through acts of love in this age. Self-sacrifice, like Jesus' love was self-sacrificial. It's about creating, let's think of practical preparation primarily in terms of love, about creating and preparing a context for practical expressions of love to be expressed in a time of great need. It means using the gifts and skills that God has entrusted to us to strengthen and love others. Who wants to use your gifts for yourselves? Is that faithful stewardship? Obviously not. I mean, we know that. We want to be faithful so that when we stand before the Lord, that, that others that God brought and entrusted to us also stand before the Lord faithfully, having been found faithful. So what does love look like practically? How many of you have heard the love languages? Everybody in this room, I think. Okay. They're uh, words of affirmation, gifts, quality, time, acts of service, physical touch. So I just, let's, let's make this really practical. What does gift giving, gift giving look like in context to a major, major economic shaking? Okay. What does it look like? What, do, what do acts of service look like when Matthew 24 is happening? Okay? What do words of affirmation look like when a brother and sister in Christ is fleeing persecution and knocks on your front door? Okay? Be strong. Don't give up. You're going to see your children again in the resurrection. Who knows what it's going to mean? Okay? I mean, I think of my children, guys, and I think, man. The hope that if we're separated one day, and I'm, I'm going to see them in the resurrection. I mean, they, these are, that's what, that, that'll be a really, if, if, ever, if, if I'm ever on your front porch, just speak that word to me, please. So all parts of the body have an important role to play in strengthening the saints for the end of the age. I, 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 I keep running up against this. I have to tell people over and over again to be connected, to contribute to the Daniel Institute. It's not mean, it doesn't mean you leave your, your job and, and have another... 20-hour-a-week ministry, that's really ministry, as if your job where God called you isn't ministry if you do it as unto Him, okay? That's not the point. The point is that moms, plumbers, farmers, coaches, truck drivers, business people, economists, students, all have a key in the end, in place in the end-time drama that's about to unfold, and God wants to use the things He's deposited in all of us to strengthen others through the most difficult time the world has ever seen. This should stir aside our hearts. I mean... How would you feel if you, if you stand before Jesus and you find out that because you took that time to write those books, those children's books, or because you did a training on small groups or whatever, that three people didn't end up in a lake of fire through that, the influence of that? I mean, that's, that's the point of it, isn't it? That's the point of it is to strengthen the saints. So I really want to encourage you guys, this is going to be a little plug here, I don't have any problem doing this, because that's the point, is you guys, God's deposited things in you that He wants to empower and, and, and use to equip the saints. And so I really want to encourage you to take advantage of our training proposal form. We set it up so that different parts of the body, under the Spirit's leadership, can be empowered to walk out their gifts and calling unto the service of a vision that Jesus says is the only vision that's really worth walking out anyway, okay? He who stands firm to the end will be saved. We, and, and 
we're really trying to encourage people to really hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and, and fill out this training proposal form. It, it walks people through different, different, different uh, how to actually put together a training event, very flexible, different formats, that kind of thing, to serve you guys so that you're the whole, it creates a context for the Holy Spirit to multiply your lives so that the saints are strengthened for the end of the age. So if, you, if you're interested in that, I, I, I really encourage you to, to go on our website, send us an email, we'll send you the password. We've got it pass, password protected just because we want to know, get to know people a little bit first before you know, they start doing trading. You know, some guy named Darth Vader from New Nevada says, Luke, I am your, your father. You know, I want to do trading for Daniel. Let's do, well, well, Darth, let's get to know you a little bit, you know. So, so email us. We'll get you the password. We'll get you the password. But this is to serve you guys. This is to, to increase your inheritance and your reward in the age to come. Okay? <clears throat> so this is uh, the following. Uh, so, technic- so just to let you know... Uh, that all of our Friday nights, uh, from, from this discussion, we know they're about preparation. Heart preparation, hand preparation, or, uh, head preparation, mind, he- mind and heart. However, we're going to devote the fourth Friday of every month more specifically to the hands-on types of training. So what are the practicals involved in leading an effective small group? What are some of the practical dynamics involved in fasting? What foods can you eat and not eat? If you can't go to the grocery store, what can you eat? What if you had to forage? Would that be helpful knowledge? Would that be an act of love? Yeah, yeah, we've got a teaching on that. Here, here's what you, go, go find some berries or something. I don't know, I don't know what it looks like. Anyway, how do we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? How, what are some practical ways that God speaks to us and, and how can we grow in that? What do we need to know about cars? That's a good one. What kind of food? How many of you know anything about cars? I don't, really, I mean, I know like a little bit. How many of you would like to know what kind of, you know, what cars can you actually fix kind of by yourself? Because most cars today, you know, is it better to have old cars? I don't, I'm just giving examples. I don't know what it actually looks like. But there's, I know that there's auto mechanics out there that want to use what God's deposited in them as an auto mechanic to bless others, to strengthen us in some way. How, how many of you have ever pasteurized your own milk? We did that. But you ha- okay. I've done that before. It's very helpful. Little things like this are very helpful. The following dream was sent to me by a friend. In the dream, God was showing that my friend didn't receive the dream. His friend had, and I also am a friend of of the guy who had the dream. But in the dream, God was showing the need for practical preparation alongside head and heart preparation. Here's the dream. He said, I looked up and I saw that I was sitting around a campfire with Noah and his sons. That'd be a pretty cool dream. Sketch what Noah looks like after their dream. I knew I was dreaming, and when I realized who these guys were, I said, very cool. (laughs) We talked lightly for a few minutes. Then Noah called the few of us to have a prayer meeting. As we prayed, I would watch ever so often, and I could tell time was moving by quickly. As I gazed at these men, their beards were steadily getting longer. What is it? uh, What's the the Evan Almighty? Who's seen that, that movie, Evan Almighty? It's a really good movie if you haven't seen it um, along these lines. Their faces were getting more wrinkled. After quiet, after some, after quiet, sometime I could hear thunder in the distance as we kept on praying. Suddenly I felt raindrops on my arms. I looked up and others felt the rain also. They looked into the sky in horror. 
Then they started wailing and weeping as they realized that they had been praying and praying and done nothing. And now the rain was here. I tell you what, now obviously the point is not to stop praying, okay? Jesus obviously made that clear that prayer is indispensable and prayer is the foundation, okay? But in the place of prayer, when the Holy Spirit gives you an assignment, the implications, if, you don't, if you're not faithful to do it, are pretty, pretty severe. They could, they're potentially, I suppose, you know? So we need to just take seriously this hand preparation. And so that's what we're going to be doing on the fourth Friday of every month. And I want to close with this story. I just got this uh, friend of mine sent this to me, uh, John Kaiser. He was telling me the story the other day. I said, you need to send that to me. I really want to read it on a Friday night. During the early 1970s, there was a revolution in Mali, North Africa. An animist came into power and during his tenure put into effect a law that every person except Muslims were required to go through cultural animistic initiation ceremonies. In these ceremonies, there was much immorality and teaching about the spirits. By the end of the initiation, each person was required to receive his or her own personal spirit. In other words, a demon. Anyone who refused to go through these ceremonies was to be buried alive with only one leg sticking out of the ground as warning to others. Many Christians died during that short time that this man was president. Abe Tavis, a retired missionary who had spent his career in Mali with the Gospel Missionary Union, made a visit at the end of his time, this time of persecution. He found that a number of people had fallen away from the church and had gone through the ceremonies. As he researched the reason for the differences between those who put their lives on the line, many of them dying, and those who fell, he came to the conclusion that those who stood firm had been prepared. They were ready for the per- persecution and stood firm. Those who fell had not been prepared and were swept away when the persecution broke. This stuff's already happening. This stuff's already happening, guys. So the reality is that biblical Christianity is preparatory by nature (laughs) at its very core. There is no such thing as non-preparatory Christianity. You know, the fact that we can actually be having this discussion and masses in the body of Christ would think that we're absolutely on the fringe of Christianity and that we're absolutely, we are loopy, but God says loopiness is good. Okay, how many of you want to be called loopy by the world or loopy by God? See what I'm saying? There is no such thing as Christianity that does not have preparation at its core. We are, uh, we are a bride that's being prepared, being made ready. So, just uh, a couple verses, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. We believe that God's, what God says is going to happen. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. Endurance is inspired by our hope. We say, my goodness, my, the hope of my calling is a kingdom. It's a tree of life that will never perish, spoil, or fade. I will be dressed in a robe a white robe. I will be a pillar in the temple of my God. That's my hope. Therefore, I'm going to persevere. I'm not going to give up so that I can inherit that. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 11. This was a passage just for those of you who might be interested that the Lord really, when he began speaking about the Daniel Institute at the very beginning, he, this was one of the 
passages that he, he really used. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 11. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. I can't wait to marvel at that man, Jesus, the King of Kings. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, with what in mind? With the punishment of everlasting destruction of the wicked, okay, and his saints, <clears throat> the glorification of the saints. With the day of the Lord is what his point. With the day of the Lord in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Who wants to be counted worthy of his calling? And that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Every act prompted by your faith. These little seminars and forums that we believe the Holy Spirit is going to begin birthing with the Daniel Institute, they're, they're acts prompted by our faith that, that this stuff's coming. 1 Peter 1, 1 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would strengthen us for what's coming. I'm just going to ask Keith to turn some music on and just give, you guys can feel free to sit here for a while if you just need some time to respond. And just, I just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit how he would have kind of the, the season that you're in, whether, whether he would have you in a season of mind preparation. I mean, we're always in all three of them, I guess, but, but if there's a particular thing that he's focusing, like going through a class or, or maybe a hand preparation where he's, he's calling you to a season of actually beginning to, to grow and exercise some of your gifts through different training or whatever it might be, or whether to take some young, some people younger than yourself or maybe peers under your wing, meeting in groups, prayer meetings, whatever the Holy Spirit would speak to you. I'm just going to pray that he would speak that to you and that, that you would have clear direction and leadership and guidance from the Holy Spirit on these things. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would touch us tonight, God. We say that we agree, Lord. We agree with your wisdom. We agree, Lord Jesus. We say, God, we don't want to live in, in illusion, God. We know it's coming. And Lord, God, I pray that should my children and the children of, of the parents in this room, the children of any father that might ever come across this teaching, Lord, I pray for my spouse, my bride, God. I pray for my own heart, Jesus. God, I pray for my mind. I pray for our minds, Jesus, that you would strip away the false paradigms, God, that keep us from being fully prepared and trained in righteousness. God, I pray for preparation of the mind. I ask you, God, for preparation of the heart, preparation of our hands, Jesus. 
Show us how to build. Give us, Lord Jesus, the, the nail and the hammers. Bring the boards. God, we pray that you would build this ark, that we would join you in it, Lord Jesus, that you would build an ark that's going to really look, look death in the face and not deny you, Lord. Jesus, we just confess we cannot do this by ourselves, and so we heed James's advice. We lack wisdom, but we cry aloud for it. You who give generously, God, we say we set our minds singly, not with double-mindedness. We set it with singleness of focus on the age to come, and we say, God, in the name of Jesus, give us wisdom. Wisdom, righteous applications, righteous solutions, righteous actions and deeds and behaviors. Holy Spirit, we can't do this in our own strength. We need you. But you said, Jesus, that if we ask and seek and knock, that you will open the door to us, that to him who asks, will receive. To him who knocks, the door will be open. Lord, I pray, God, we ask and we seek and we knock on the door for grace. Father, I pray even now that you'd begin speaking to these precious sheep. I just speak over you that you are the Lord's, that you belong to him, that he is faithful to you and he will strengthen you for the time, through the, for and through the times that are coming. The Lord is faithful to you. He is not going to drop you. He is going to answer your prayers. He is going to strengthen your hearts. Father, I bless your sheep. Oh, Jesus, though we are led like lambs to the slaughter, we know that wisdom will be proved right by her children, Jesus, and that we will see you on that day. So, Lord, we ask you to come and speak to us now. Wisdom of God, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name.